in a community where people want to absolve themselves of guilt, they get a goat and they heap all of the ills onto the goat and then they run the goat out of town. No matter where you are in the political spectrum, you cannot have classified information migrating uh, out into a non-classified setting. We're going to find the Lakers. They're going to pay a big price for leaking. This administration is running like a fine-tuned machine. It's time to make America great again. Join the movement. Caruso, the Neil A. Caruso Show Podcast. Time to dream big. Informative, insightful, and valiant leadership. Telling it the way it is to make a difference. All right, Thursday, February 16th, 2017, the Neil A. Caruso Show Podcast. Welcome to the program, everybody. What a busy news day today. Uh, over an hour of President Trump's press conference, um, which was unbelievable. Um, he really he spent the time answering every question today. And what came out of it is that um, you can trust the leader of the country. That's what I took out of it uh, today. I was uh, pretty proud of the way he uh, stood there, answered all of these questions, some of them biased. Uh, not, but um, a lot of uh, of crying from the media, and we're going to talk about that. Um, let me tell you that on this podcast, we have a veteran, a combat veteran who served in Granada, and um, he, Jeffrey McQueen, runs. Uh, he's the veterans director of Veterans Health, uh, uh, Veterans Health Alliance of Long Island. Um, we are going to continue to talk about veterans on this program, as um, I have already uh, on NeilAcurso.com. And Jeff uh, tells a great put, really puts everything into perspective. For those who don't understand what veterans go through, serve our country, protect our borders, uh, listen to this entire podcast. We talked for over an hour, and I'm playing the entire thing because he puts it in such a way that you will gain an appreciation, if you don't already, for those who serve. Maybe try to understand a little bit of what veterans go through to protect our country, our freedom, our sovereignty. And also, we talk about ways that you can do your part to give back because— Let's be honest. We're, as he put it, we're a little spoiled here. You know, we talk about politics on this podcast, and we talk about the crying from people, from politicians. We talk about some of the um, the rhetoric that goes on in this highly charged political environment. But when you learn about a story like we're going to tell you on this podcast of Jeffrey McQueen, what he has gone through personally, uh, what veterans go through every single day, 
And they go, they serve at young ages, and they are the line of defense for our safety and everything that we have. And listen, I, and I said this in the interview, I wouldn't be able to do what I do and communicate with you if people like Jeff didn't serve for us so that we don't have to defend ourselves. When you look at other countries and the situations they have, we are so fortunate to be where we are and that, you know, we can talk about the news of the day and whether you like President Trump, whether you voted for him or not, it doesn't compare to what veterans and our military fights for. Americans voted for President Trump, and he is our chief executive. He is our commander-in-chief. And we don't get political in the interview, by the way, although we do talk about the commander-in-chief and the feel of that because he served under three presidents— Reagan, George H.W. Bush, and Bill Clinton. So we talk about that. But that's really the most political that we get on the program today um, With uh, as far as the interview is concerned with Jeffrey McQueen. So stay tuned for that because in my eyes, it's imperative that you listen to it and you understand what people like Jeff go through. And do your part to support them. And we'll put up on neilacruso.com Friday morning about the ways that you can give back. If you're in New York on Long Island, there are ways. Now, there are other great organizations as well. Um, Veterans Health Alliance is one of the best that I've seen because they are right there in the community and they need community support. Especially with the amount of veterans living on Long Island. And they'll be heading up to Albany the state capital of New York to do a legislative day uh, where they talk about the support they need from politicians because they do need that support, but mainly community. And if we're going to truly come together as a nation, we have to put priorities in place because there are many issues, some uh, less serious than others, But uh, to me, the core of the country is our defense because we have to fight every day to protect our freedom because there are groups like ISIS and al-Qaeda, radical Islamic terrorists who want to take our freedom away from us. So it's imperative that we fight for that freedom every single day. So that's coming up with Jeffrey McQueen of uh, Veterans Health Alliance, veteranshealthalliance.org. Um, all right, President Trump spoke today at a news conference. It was funny the way he announced it. He was having a meeting with politicians who supported him early on, and he said, um, and he you know basically just had them in to talk about certain issues around the country. And then all of a sudden, you know, towards the end, he goes, you know what? I have a little free time <laughs> around uh, around noon today. Eh, why don't we do a news conference? 
So that's really how it got announced, was uh, by surprise. And, well, people are describing it as fiery. Eh, well, I pulled some highlights. It was a uh, hour and 15-minute press conference. I boiled it down to, I think this is six minutes, so I boiled it down for you of the press conference from today in Washington. Here's President Trump. I'm making this presentation directly to the American people with the media present, which is an honor to have you. This morning, because many of our nation's reporters and folks will not tell you the truth and will not treat the wonderful people of our country with the respect that they deserve. The press has become so dishonest that if we don't talk about it, we are doing a tremendous disservice to the American people. Tremendous disservice. We have to talk about it to find out what's going on because the press honestly is out of control. The level of dishonesty is out of control. I'll tell you something. I'll, I'll be honest because I sort of enjoy this back and forth and I guess I have all my life, but I've never seen more dishonest media than, frankly, the political media. I thought the financial media was much better, much more honest. There's nobody I have more respect for, well, maybe a little bit, but than reporters, than good reporters. It's very important to me and especially in this position. It's very important. I don't mind bad stories. I, I can handle a bad story better than anybody, as long as it's true. And, you know, over a course of time, I'll make mistakes, and you'll write badly, and I'm okay with that. But I'm not okay when it is fake. I think it should be straight. I think it should be, I think it would be, frankly, more interesting. I know how good everybody's ratings are right now, but I think that actually be, I think that actually be better. People, I mean, you have a lower approval rate than Congress. I think that's right. I don't know, Peter, is that one right? Because, you know, I think they have lower, I heard lower than Congress. The public isn't, you know, they read newspapers, they see television, they watch. They don't know if it's true or false because they're not involved. I'm involved. I've been involved with this stuff all my life. But I'm involved. So I know when you're telling the truth or when you're not. I just see many, many untruthful things. And I'll tell you what else I see. I see tone, you know, the word tone. The tone is such hatred. I'm really not a bad person, by the way. No, but the tone is such, I do get good ratings, you have to admit that. The tone is such hatred. I inherited a mess. It's a mess. At home and abroad, a mess. Jobs are pouring out of the country. You see what's going on with all of the companies leaving our country, going to Mexico and other places. Low pay, low wages, mass instability overseas, no matter where you look. The Middle East, a disaster. North Korea, we'll take care of it, folks. We're going to take care of it all. I just want to let you know, I inherited a mess. We've begun preparing to repeal and replace Obamacare. Obamacare is a disaster, folks. It's a disaster. Jobs have already started to surge. Since my election, Ford announced it will abandon its plans to build a new factory in Mexico and will instead invest $700 million in Michigan, creating many, many jobs. And one more thing. I have kept my promise to the American people by nominating a justice of the United States Supreme Court, Judge Neil Gorsuch. Mike Flynn is a fine person. And I asked for his resignation. He respectfully gave it. He is a man who uh, there was a certain amount of information given to Vice President Pence, who's with us today. And 
I was not happy with the way that information was given. Uh, he didn't have to do that because what he did wasn't wrong. What he did in terms of the information he saw, what was wrong was the way that other people, including yourselves in this room, were given that information. Because there was classified information that was given illegally. That's the real problem. And, you know, you can talk all you want about Russia, which was all a, you know, fake news fabricated deal to try and make up for the loss of the Democrats and the plus press plays right into it. How does the press get this information that's classified? How do they do it? You know why? Because it's an illegal process and the press should be ashamed of themselves. But more importantly, the people that gave out the information to the press should be ashamed of themselves. Well, the LA New York Times wrote a big, long front page story yesterday. And it was very much discredited, as you know. It was, it's a joke. And the people mentioned the story. I noticed they were on television today saying they never even spoke to Russia. So the three people that they talked about all totally deny it. And I can tell you, speaking for myself, I own nothing in Russia. I have no loans in Russia. I don't have any deals in Russia. Uh, President Putin called me up very nicely to congratulate me on the win of the election. He then called me up extremely nicely to congratulate me on the inauguration, which was terrific. But so did many other leaders, almost all other leaders from almost all other countries. So that's the extent. Russia is fake news. Russia, this is fake news put out by the media. The whole Russian thing, that's a ruse. That's a ruse. And by the way, it would be great if we could get along with Russia, just so you understand that. Hillary Clinton did a reset, remember, with the stupid plastic button that made us all look like a bunch of jerks? Here, take a look. He looked at her like, what the hell is she doing with that cheap plastic button? That's spelled wrong, to too. Along with Russia. Now, you've had a lot of presidents that haven't taken that tack. Look where we are now. Look where we are now. We will be issuing a new and very comprehensive order to protect our people. And that'll be done sometime next week, toward the beginning or middle at the latest part. As far as the new order, uh, the new order is going to be very much tailored to the what I consider to be a very bad decision. But uh, we can tailor the order to that decision and get just about everything, in some ways more, uh, but we're tailoring it now to the decision. We have some of the best lawyers in the country working on it. And the new uh, executive order is being tailored to the decision we got down from the court. All right. So President Trump at his press conference today, um, before I get into the media, because the media is crying over President Trump um, and his uh, comments about them today, you know, it's – let me put that aside for a second before I get into that. Um, the news that I take from this press conference, new executive order that you just heard about, and that will be interesting to see because President Trump also said today that you didn't hear on the highlights that he's had to now speed up the extreme vetting policies – so that we know who's coming into our country, he has to come up with something and uh, you know and make sure that um, there is a better vetting process without spending the time that he wanted to dedicate to it to properly do it while the suspension was on. But since that has been 
overturned by the ninth um, court, he has had to make an adjustment. So that new executive order is going to be important. He also um, talked about the Flynn situation, which, again, the story within that is the intelligence leaks. Now, the FBI came out tonight and said that the that Michael Flynn did not do anything illegal, nothing illegal. President Trump said that yesterday. That wasn't taken for face value, even though we know that. And last month, the FBI said that Flynn did nothing illegal. He talked to Russian ambassadors in preparation for a job that was at hand. Now, big league jobs announcement will come out next week. Apparently, um, this was again not in the highlights. President Trump said that there that he is going to have another company announcement next week. So more jobs for the American people. That's the substance. The side story today, and we'll be into Friday and into the weekend, is President Trump's relationship with the media. So if you turn on CNN, where um, President Trump had a a uh, bit of a bicker with um, Acosta at CNN. It's the name Jim Acosta. Um, he had a little bit of a spout with him. <laughs> and his new labor secretary's name is uh, is also Acosta, the last name. He's a uh, former prosecutor. And he goes that he actually now he probably did i don't know well we can't verify that but um the reporter at cnn goes his name is last name is acosta he says did you um uh well he was asking him a question and president trump said you know my new labor secretary i met, i did a background check <laughs> to make sure that he wasn't um that he wasn't related to you in any, in any way and took a total shot at CNN. So if you turn on CNN, they're flipping out. They're crying tonight. They're saying, I mean, how could he do this? He's not being presidential. He's talking down to the media. They need us. President Trump is using his own methods to talk directly to the American people. And today's press conference energized his base. Saturday's rally will energize his base. You know, the working class folks that are largely ignored by the national media because they cover the coast very well, New York, Los Angeles, California, um, but they really don't cover middle America. And what does someone in Michigan or Wisconsin what do they have to gain by the national media? Because they they really don't cover those parts of the country unless there's like a major storm there. So I totally get for those people to be a little energized today. You know, he took a shot at the folks who just ignore us. They're not there. Now, all right, so some of the coverage tonight, and we'll probably talk about this more on Sunday. Um, well, you know, there you have a uh, story at the USA Today. This one was outrageous. And I'm going to share with you some real fake news stories because Trump called out 
fake news. And he said, all right, I'll upgrade CNN. Very fake news. <laughs> he's, he's relentless. He really is. And unless they just decide to treat him with respect as our leader, they're just never going to get the access that they want. Let's be clear. They fawned over President Obama. They did. They asked him questions about what gets him up in the morning. These these silly questions, okay? They didn't ask him, did you or did you not order the code right? That was not a question. It's a few good men movie. But they're asking Trump questions as if it's an interrogation. And Trump's having no part of it. And so he just dismantled them today. USA Today headline. Trump asked a black journalist during his news conference to set up a meeting with black lawmakers. And then the first paragraph reads, President Trump asked an African-American journalist during Thursday's press conference with reporters to set up a meeting with a group of African-American lawmakers, a suggestion that was widely derided and criticized for what many consider to be his lack of racial sensitivity. Who's many? Like, aren't they supposed to cite things? That's what we're taught. Criticized for what many considered to be his lack of racial sensitivity. Do you want to hear that? I'll play the full context of that question. CBC reporter asking President Trump a question at the news conference today. Yes. Here's the full thing. I know this is going to be a bad question, but that's okay. Good, because I enjoy watching you on television. Go ahead. Well, thank you so much. Mr. President, I need to find out from you, uh, you said something uh, as it relates to inner cities. That was one of your platforms during your campaign. Now Fix the inner cities. Right? Fixing the inner yep. cities. What will be that fix and your urban agenda as well as your HBCU uh, executive order that's coming out? All right, we're good so far. Year. See, it wasn't bad, was it? That was very professional and very good. Uh, yeah, very we'll, we'll be announcing yes. the order in a little while, and I'd rather let the order speak for itself, but it'll be something I think that will be... Very good for everybody concerned, but we'll talk to you about that after we do the announcement. As far as the inner cities, as you know, I was very strong on the inner cities during the campaign. I think it's probably what got me a much higher percentage of the African-American vote than a lot of people thought I was going to get. Uh, we did, you know, much higher than people thought I was going to get, and I was honored by that, including the Hispanic vote, which was also much higher. And, by the way, if I might add, including the women's vote, which was much higher than people thought I was going to get. So uh, we are going to be uh, working very hard on the industries having to do with education, having to do with crime. We're going to try and fix as quickly as possible. You All know, good so far. It gets a little intense in a little years bit. And more for some of these places to evolve, and they evolved, many of them, very badly. But we're going to be working very hard on health and health care, very, very hard on education, and also we're going to be working in a stringent way and a very good way on crime. You go to some of these inner city uh, places, and it's so sad when you look at the crime. You have people, and I've seen this, and I've fifty-seven percent sort of rise in homicides actually in Chicago. Them. They lock themselves into apartments, petrified to even leave in the middle of the day. They're living in hell. We can't let that happen. So we're going to be very, very strong. It's a great question, and, and, and a, it's a very, it's a very difficult situation because it's been many, many years. It's been festering for many, many years. But we have places in this country 
that we have to fix. We have to help African-American people that, for the most part, are stuck there, Hispanic American people. We have Hispanic American people that are in the inner cities, and they're living in hell. I mean, you look at the numbers in Chicago. There are two Chicagos, as you know. There's one Chicago that's credible, luxurious, and all, and safe. There's another Chicago that's worse than almost any of the places in the Middle East that we talk about and that you talk about every night on the newscasts. So we're going to do a lot of work on the inner cities. I have great people lined up to help with the inner cities. Well, when, okay? you say, when you say the inner cities, are you, going to, are you going to include the CBC, Mr. President, in your conversations with your, your urban agenda, your inner city agenda, as well as... Am I going to include Are who? you going to include the Congressional Black Caucus and the Congressional Well, Hispanic I would. Caucus, I tell you what. Do you want to well set up the, the meeting? Do you want to set up the meeting? No, no, no. I'm, are they I'm, friends I'm, of I'm yours? No, get a, set up the I meeting. I know some of them, but I'm sure they're Let's go set up right a now. meeting. I would love to meet with the Black Caucus. I think it's great, the Congressional Black Caucus. I think it's great. Uh, I actually thought I had a meeting with Congressman Cummings, and he was all excited. And then he said, oh, I can't move. It might be bad for me politically. I can't have that meeting. I was all set to have the meeting. You know, we called him and called him, and he was all set. I spoke to him on the phone. Very nice guy. I hear he wanted that meeting with you as well. He wanted it. But we called, 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 called. They can't make a meeting with him. Every day I walk in, I said, I would like to meet with him because I do want to solve the problem. But he probably was told by Schumer or somebody like that, some other lightweight. He was probably <laughs> told, he was probably told, don't meet with Trump. It's bad politics. And that's part of the problem in this country. It is part of the problem in the country. So politics. And so, again, the USA Today headline. Trump asked a black journalist during his news conference to set up a meeting with black lawmakers. And then the first paragraph I read to you earlier, it implies that, oh my God, how could he, Trump, picked on a black uh, journalist when he was really just asking? He, like, they really don't get him. They really don't understand him. I mean, did they listen to him for two years? Did they do research like I did? Um, did they read a book? I mean, seriously. And this is not all of them. But, like, th this headline is terrible because it implies a racist charge. He asked for a freaking meeting to bring people together. And he did have a meeting set up, and it was canceled. Jesus. Okay? So these are the types of stories, and we went over some of them yesterday. I got to tell you, some of these stories that are out there are very inappropriate. He's our president. Deal with it. And it's time to come together. And if you have to rally around something, rally around something. Rally around jobs. Rally around national security. We have a ship that was off the coast of Long Island here yesterday. We talked about it. 15 miles off the coast of Connecticut. Um, and it was... Uh, further down south today, for, uh, it escapes me at the moment because I don't have it in front of me. And he said, you know, uh, I would blow it out of the water, but I need to work with Russia. And he's trying to do some diplomacy. I mean, he actually comes across as tempered compared to his rallies. And Saturday rally will be interesting. 
Will he be all, you know, fire and brimstone? I don't think so. I think he knows too much now about where the bodies are buried. And he knows what's going on. He knows the governmental and bureaucracy nonsense. He knows why and where people are suffering. And he knows the threats that we get every day. So give him a little credit because we don't know. And then um, Tom Friedman of the New York Times. You probably heard about this Tuesday. He wrote his columnist. Okay, The New York Times, by the way, and, and I've talked to media people about this. People who get it, who understand that, listen, it's out of control. That the media has overstepped its bounds. A lot of them. A lot of them. Um, where the Times is actually writing, we need to reestablish truth. Well, you should have just kept truth in journalism. And then we wouldn't be where we are. Trump didn't ruin that for you. They're, they thought that it was their goal to bring him down and that they would have President Hillary Clinton. And it didn't work out for them. New York Times columnist Thomas Friedman, if you didn't hear about this, he compared the election of President Trump on Tuesday in the same category as 9-11 and Pearl Harbor. Seriously. Ladies and gentlemen, we were attacked on December 7, 1941, Freeman writes. We were attacked on September 11, 2001, and we were attacked on November 8, 2016. That most recent attack didn't involve a horrible loss of lives, but it was devastating in its own way. I mean, seriously, the language in that. That we were attacked? Millions of people voted for President Trump. You just alienated half of the country. Nice going. Really good. We to sell papers. And people aren't too happy about that in the media, by the way. There are a lot of good journalists out there who cover a lot of really important stories. The Hill reporting today that a doctor, what's this India's name? Uh, he he is calling, uh, he is basically diagnosing Trump. He's a psychiatrist, Alan Francis, professor emeritus of psychiatry and behavioral sciences at Duke University, wrote a letter to the Times this week that diagnosing Trump at a distance is not an appropriate way to push back on policies. Then he goes on to diagnose Trump. He writes, most amateur diagnosticians have mislabeled President Trump with the diagnosis of narcissistic personality disorder. I wrote that criteria and defined this disorder, and Mr. Trump doesn't meet them. He may be a world-class narcissist, but this doesn't make him mentally ill because he does not suffer from distress and impairment required to diagnose mental disorder. He goes on to say, it is stigmatizing insult to the mentally ill. Who, in parentheses, who are mostly well-behaved and well-meaning, to be lumped with Mr. Trump, in parentheses, who is neither. Bad behavior is rarely a sign of mental illness, and the ment mentally ill have uh, behaved badly only rarely. Psychiatric name-calling is a misguided way of countering Mr. Trump's attack on democracy. He can and should be appropriately announced for his ignorance, incompetence, impulsivity, and pursuit of dictatorship 
dictatorial powers. Seriously. This is from a psychiatrist. Stick to medicine. An attack on democracy. How about you support our country? President Trump's going to have this uphill battle throughout his presidency. He's going to face this nonsense of resistance when we have to give him credit because he knows more than we do right now. And he's leading our country and we need him to succeed for the country. But despite that, in a month, and this will probably be my monologue on Sunday, although I haven't quite figured it out, uh, Caruso's comments on Sunday, that despite this uphill battle, there is so much winning. There is. Jobs, national security-wise, signed the executive order today to uh, roll back some of the regulations of coal miners who were targeted for EPA regulations. So, the fake stories, and I could, I mean, I read them yesterday. The BuzzFeed dossier, WhiteHouse.gov doesn't have climate change on it. No, they were just changing over from the Obama administration to the Trump administration. You could search. It's on there. I mean, all of these this reporting that's put out there and... Listen, some of it very good, some of it that gets the headlines, it's headline journalism, and it's not appropriate. And so what Trump did today was he took every question, but there were some really bad false reporting. And someone's got to point him out, and he's got the bully pulpit. So he went out there and said, listen, what you're doing is wrong. This is why. And if you just listen to him, but they don't listen. They don't. All they do is call for a meeting, and it's called a racist? I mean, seriously? That's where we're at as a country? It's sad. Um, very interesting, though, to hear President Trump speak today for an hour. I don't know. I thought it was a little bit of a pump-up session. That's how I felt about it. All right. But if you really want a pump-up session, the rest of the podcast is going to be my interview with Jeffrey McQueen from Veterans Health Alliance. The stories are amazing. He served our country valiantly for six years. You'll hear about his story. You'll hear about Veterans Health Alliance and the great work that they do to support our veterans and involve the community in that support. It's a great organization that directly supports U.S. veterans who live on Long Island and New York. So that's coming up on the podcast and... That is when we return from this break on the Neil A. Caruso Show podcast. We are never going to let you down. And neither will Neil A. Caruso. With you every day on the Neil A. Caruso Show podcast and Sundays at noon Eastern on the Neil A. Caruso Show on neilacaruso.com. He's the real deal. Telling it the way it is to make a difference. Green light. Hey, girl. School zone. I'm getting hungry changing lanes you want to meet me for pizza stop sign intersection clear yeah street pizza sounds good ball in street girl in street <gasps> it's hard to concentrate on two things at once like texting and driving stop the text stop the wrecks 
How will you stop texting and driving? Tell us at StopTextStopRex.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. When it comes to saving money, don't act like a baby. Goo goo gaga. Be the boss and make a budget. I'm the boss, baby. You're the boss of me. I am the boss of you. Are not. M2. Are not. M2. Need a little help? Aren't you going to do any work? I'm very busy delegating. Create a personalized savings plan. We can share. You obviously didn't go to business school. And get other tools and tips at feedthepig.org. Brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad Council. Exciting things on NileCruzo.com. Supporting our vets, getting people back to work, and uncovering corruption and lunacy. Log on to NileCruzo.com. Now joining us on the Neil A. Caruso Show podcast is Jeffrey McQueen. He's the Director of Veterans Services at Veterans Healthcare Alliance of Long Island in New York. And he is also a combat veteran himself. Mr. McQueen, thank you for joining us on the podcast. Thank you for your service. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. So I want to talk about uh, Veterans Health Alliance first. Give me an overall, you do a lot of really good work, and I want to talk about all the things you do because you do everything from peer support to training opportunities and advocacy for veterans. You're very hands-on. So explain to me what you do and what separates you from other veterans organizations. Okay, so... This is our 10th year, actually our 10th anniversary with the Veterans Health Alliance. Um, and the, the idea behind the Veterans Health Alliance was to develop a collaborative effort, more or less a coalition or an alliance that would service Long Island veterans with Long Island, with a Long Island culture concept. So everything that we do, the, this entire alliance, which is now built up of over 80 different agencies, uh, public officials, uh, learning institutions, veterans themselves, and veteran service providers, mental health providers and substance abuse providers that all work together uh, to be this smorgasbord of services for veterans throughout Long Island. And so the four deliverables that we really try to work on is uh, naturally outreach to be able to uh, find veterans and reach them and be able to let them know what's available to them. Once we find them, the, the second deliverable is, of course, to support them and be able to make sure that they're receiving the care that they deserve and that they need. And then secondly, uh, and thirdly, I'm sorry, we uh, begin this portion of advocacy to make sure that not only are they getting what they need, but that they're getting what they deserve as well within their rights. Right. And then the fourth portion of that is the training because there are so many people that love our veterans that love us and want to support us but not quite sure how to engage and what to do so we bring these trainings uh free of charge to long island every year to be able to help these agencies learn how to engage with veterans what the language is what are the current problems and assessments and and what you can do to be a part of this big venture so let me ask you this because I know a lot of my listeners are, are thinking, well, how, how do we support our veterans? And, you know, people always say, well, you know, can, can I get money? Um, but 
my biggest thing is uh, why don't we get uh, what I do personally is giving goods directly to veterans, spending time with veterans, talking with them. Um, and, you know, when we talked the other day at your office, you told me that, you know, it's about giving back to those who served us. And I think there are a lot of people who, if they knew what they could do, they would do anything because they realize the value in what um, guys like you went through to protect our freedom and our nation's sovereignty. So what is it that um, we can do? What is, I mean, I know there are simple things. What what do veterans need? Well, the, the biggest dilemma that we come to find out. So let me, let me give you a little history about uh, the way services are provided and what, where the gaps lie. Right. So money comes in two forms. There's hard money and then there's soft money. Hard money comes with a narrative and a dictation on what the money can do, right? Oftentimes, because someone is providing that money, they're looking for a deliverable and a, and a measured set of outcomes. So, um, you know, government grants and county grants, state grants are amazing. I'm so happy that we have them, mm -hmm. um, right? And I think that they have even expanded over the years. And so they really are trying to uh, show that they care about the veteran community and support them. However, not all veterans meet the needs to be able to get these supports because we service veterans regardless of discharge status. So while some veterans are able to go to the VA and to other government and state agencies to be able to get what they need, this money has this outcome measure base on it that says, well, you service the veteran and this is what we want in return, right? right? Like well, this is what we need to see the results of in order to keep this flow going. And it makes perfectly good sense. But what do I do about the veteran who uh, come home, is not doing well, maybe he's been self-medicating, maybe he's dealing with some frustrations and emotions that he doesn't know how to control, may have gotten himself into a little trouble, and and now his car is impounded, or he's behind on his rent, or, you know, and, and so hard money doesn't support that. So mm -hmm. the soft money, which is all fundraising money, allows us the freedom to be able to say, hey, let's get your lights back on, let's create some, some comfort, you know, some a comfortable environment for you and your family uh, so that you can get your head back in the game and we can support you with getting back to this gainful and meaningful lifestyle. And so so Veterans Health Alliance does both. It, it allows us the opportunity to, one, be able to provide a clinical care for veterans on Long Island, right? But it also gives us the availability to be able to say, hey, you know what? We can get your car out of impound. Um, let's go ahead and do that so that you can get back to work. Because if if no one supports the veteran, so I got to go back again. I don't know anyone, including myself, who has ever succeeded without mistakes, right? Right. Like none of us are free of mistakes. But if we hold an individual responsible to all those mistakes and not give any support, then we may be creating a, a deeper hole than if we were to just say, hey, you know what, let me help you up out of this this time. And, and then provide the wraparound services, not just to pay the bill, but to also support you after the bill is paid to make sure that you don't slip back into that gap again. Yeah, of course. And we're talking to Jeffrey McQueen, who's the Director of Veterans Services at Veterans Healthcare Alliance of Long Island, an excellent organization. And uh, we'll be in touch with you guys for the foreseeable, you know, really indefinitely because 
Um, there are uh, issues out there that um, need to be put to the forefront, and one of them is veterans' care. Um, a good now, obviously, we went through a very um, interesting, uh, to say the least, election that a lot of people um, were, uh, you know, were disenfranchised by, were uh, discouraged by. But I think one of the issues that was brought to the forefront and that uh, President Trump has uh, hammered and I hope he follows three, through on is veterans' care. And so what they go through and what you go through, um, it, you know, people cannot fathom. Um, and I want to ask you to give an example of someone who, and obviously don't mention names or anything like that, but someone who has come to you guys who fell on hard times, needed that pick-me-up, and then you follow through and help them um, to uh, get to stay up on their feet and, uh, and to, you know, uh, live, live their life without, you know, without um, all the struggle that, uh, that people go through when they come back from, from fighting. Sure, sure. So we've, I, I probably could give you a number of stories like that, but, but one in particular that comes to mind is, is about a family. So the, the wife is actually who reached out to us in support of her husband um, because he had just lost the ability to engage. He had slipped into this dark place that did not allow him the strength to be able to, to fight back. So it was just about the time that we had began doing a retreat, a wellness retreat. And the wife had decided that, you know what? I want to do this thing and he should come because I don't know what else to do. And so he ended up coming and during the retreat, uh, some of the, the activities that we had and him bonding with other veterans allowed him to be able to open up and tap into the courage to be able to speak about what was going on with him. And so after that, he began to attend some groups. There was one particular phase where they had slipped in financially. We was able to support them with that. Um, but the bigger portion of it was that because he had dug in and got involved with other veterans and the peer support and the camaraderie that the Alliance and the Vet to Vet program were providing, he, this family today, so I'm talking three years ago when we engaged with him, but this family today now has a newborn child. They did a closing on a house. They're both working full-time jobs um, in careers of their choice, and they're happy. You know, they're, they're, they're doing well. So well that both of them became volunteers for the program to be able to give back to other veterans and spouses. Wow, that that's unbelievable. And I assume this that you worked on the vet to vet program that you have. Tell me about how that works. Okay, so it's actually the PFC Dwyer project. Okay. Um, and just to give you a little history, PFC Dwyer was an Iraqi veteran from Suffolk County uh, who came home uh, with unseen wounds right? Mm -hmm. He began to self-medicate. The choice of drug that he had chose was to huff, and and apparently uh, it was one too many, and and so 911 was called. And just to show you that this was not an attempt at suicide, when the police walked in, the first thing that came out of Joseph Dwyer's mouth was, please don't let me die. And so Joseph Dwyer did not make it through that episode. Um, and, and it's from 
situations like this that we understand that suicide for many of us is not an attempted act or, or, or something that we wish to commit, huh. but in actuality is a side effect of our illnesses, right? Huh. And, and so, so Joseph Dwyer didn't make it, and, and as a result of that, his family came out for this big campaign, and the veterans of Long Island uh, began to lobby and push for politicians to uh, to uh, you know bring money to the to the forefront that would allow us to be able to put money not so much in any particular government entity's hand but actually in the community's hands so that we would be able to allow veterans to support our own and as a result of that came the PFC Dwyer project so so Nassau County uh, has currently about 19 groups up and running where veterans are there to support other veterans. Okay. And the, the groups are run pretty much like an NA group. They're all anonymous. We don't expect anyone to, to put their names on anything. For, for the sake of stats, we will take a role, which is a first name, last initial, and that's all we require. Um, and then the groups have a curriculum that talks about, you know, plans for wellness and integration of community wellness. Um, you know, what can we do to help you establish some stability in your life and in and, your family? So that in the term I like to use is so that you can live, love and laugh um, freely, you know, because these are the three areas of life that we identify when an individual is encountered with a disorder. It affects the way they live um, and carry out daily tasks. It affects them from having meaningful relationships. It also affects their emotions. And so that live, love, and laugh theory is, is a way to identify when an individual has found their mark in their wellness. Jeffrey McQueen, Director of Veterans Services at Veterans Health Alliance of Long Island. By the way, the website, and we'll put it up on uh, on the description on iTunes and SoundCloud, the whole thing, and I'll also have a story up on my website by Friday. VeteransHealthAlliance.org is the website. And, you know, Long Island, New York has thousands of veterans on Long Island. In fact, it's the second most populous um, uh, area um, on in the United States of veterans. Um, there are over, what is it, over 200,000? Um, we're close to it. It's about 153,000 veterans right, on so, Long Island. And out of that group, in your, or in the United States, there are... So just think about this. You have 153 veterans on Long Island, second most populous um, in the United States. You have 39,500 veterans homeless across the United States on a given night. And you have thousands who suffer every day. And you guys are out there helping them and preventing one veteran at a time from falling into these traps. Um, how do you do it every day? Well, I mean, naturally, and it takes a lot of support from the community to be able to maintain this uh, feat. Because it's, it's, you know, they say it takes a village to raise a child. Uh, that's no different from what we do. It's not necessarily the wherewithal of the Veterans Health Alliance or 
the PFC Dwyer project, but it's a matter of also engaging the community at large to be able to pull this task off and, and, and formulate a plan at hand that allows the community to be able to support all of these veterans. So the alliance within its own self, because it has this outreaching hand to all the different agencies and all the different politicians and other veterans, we are able to, to meet one another um, in the middle where a veteran may need support. So as veterans come to whatever part of the alliance, then we are able to say, okay, you know what, if housing is what you need, then you can reach out here. If food is what you need, then we can work out with this. And so if clothing is what you need, we're able to do this. And if it's money, then we can try to reach out for here. And so we've been able to make this alliance work um, by collaborative efforts. You know what I mean? It, it, mm -hmm. it just really takes a village to be able to do this. So, and, and, that's the, that, and that's the big point about everything that we put out. So right now, the Veterans Health Alliance is working on its newest uh, campaign for Be One in a Million. Mm -hmm. And this is really about the community engagement because we can't continue. There are so many needs in our society, so many needs that I can't just say that the veterans' needs are the most important or that everything should be dropped by the wayside to support veterans. That's not even fair, right. you know, because there are children's in need, there's cancer needs, there, you know, there are just so many needs. Of course, and everyone has their own personal, you know, issues as well. personal issues right. as well. That's so correct. So what I, so what the B1 in a million is, it's about Long Island dollars for Long Island veterans. Okay. It's not about being able to save the world and donate your money and we're going to try to reach out to veterans all in California. No, we're looking for the Long Island community to donate to the Veterans Health Alliance so that the Veterans Health Alliance can support Long Island veterans. Right, so you have a specific goal in mind, and that goal is to take care of our Long Island vets, and especially those who um, go to you and say, hey, listen, I have this problem. They come to you with personal problems and they come that with is correct and they come with you saying come to you um saying that i can't pay my rent or i have this problem or you know i just can't deal with whatever it may be and we and i personally and others who have not served can't fathom those issues that you go through but we want to help so what be one in a million someone wants to get involved and um there are events that i'm going to put up on my website um there's one at adelphi on March 14th, so a little under a month from today, there is an event. Uh, if you're in New York, you can go. It's an all-day um, conference. It's free. And you are um, talking about um, focusing on uh, on shifting the needs of our uh, Long Island vets. So tell me how people can get involved, whether they can go to this conference or if they say, hey, listen, I'm gonna, I want to do something to help out. What do these vets need the most? I think right now we're discovering, so we just did a needs assessment um, and, and the outcome of that has not been finalized, but in looking at the information that we've uh, retained so far, we're discovering that our aging veterans are becoming, so, all right, so when a population is being serviced, mm -hmm a new population coming in will automatically becomes the underserved. 
But when the shift becomes so dynamic to that underserved community, the population that used to be served can very easily now become the underserved. And so we're noticing that our aging veterans, our Vietnam veterans and World War II veterans are, are, are now in this place where uh, their children are out of the home, their spouses may be passing away or, or, or getting ill. And, and now they're discovering their wounds from combat. You know, they're now discovering that they're in need of support. And this aging veteran the, the, is, is not getting a need. That's where the gap is at the current moment. Right. So these... Be able to service them in their home, to be able to help keep them in their homes, to be able to, to, to get them to care, to, to access the care like transportation. And, and this is becoming a great need in the Long Island community of veterans. So what happens is these veterans who served in Vietnam and World War II, um, God bless uh, those men and women, they served for us. And they came back and had to deal with family again. And uh, were they, is it that now that things are, you know, shifting where they're not working, um, that it's, it's hitting them, what they went through? And it, it, does it hurt as they get older? For the for the most part, I think I think um, it's fair to say that when I have a task at hand and I'm busy and I'm raising my children, I'm supporting my wife, I'm working my my career, and I'm trying to to raise and provide for a family, that task could very well deter any onset of illness. It could keep me so targeted and focus that I don't have time to worry about illness or anything going on in my life. And now that that task is gone, because for veterans, it's always been about the mission. You know, it's always been about the mission. And so if the mission is family, then I'm on the mission, right? And, and when the mission fades away and my mind is free to wander, then it's very easy for the onset of not just my age, but illnesses that I've incurred over time that I've fought off from being focused, now onset. And, and I begin to uh, become affected by these illnesses. And so now I have to figure out a way to navigate through a system that maybe I wasn't involved with, right? Like maybe I haven't been involved with the VA or any veteran service agencies and now I've got to go wait a minute so what am I going to do now like I'm not at work and I need my insurance and I need to be able to and it's not just that but it's also the spouses and the caretakers of veterans as well mm -hmm. because most of them are aging too and it makes it harder for them to care for them when they themselves are in a position where they're soon going to be needing care for sure and we're talking to Jeffrey McQueen uh, he works at Veterans Health Alliance and a combat veteran himself, and uh, let me ask you about, because um, you were talking about Dwyer and about his um, experience and what happened and um, that he uh, he didn't mean to, uh, he was just medicating himself. He told us that story. Um, the statistics show that um, about 20% of, or excuse me, there are about, um, uh, what, 20 veterans uh, commit suicide a day is what the generic stat is? Well, the national number is that 
um, 22 veterans a day complete suicide. Right. Um, and obviously that changes day to day, but that's kind of what the national statistics kind of lean towards, and it's been that way for um, uh, for a couple of years. Um, yes, it has. Tell me, so what is what drives um, that situation to happen? Uh, you know, the VA is, um, there's been a lot of national stories about the VA um, being uh, slow on wait times and that people are uh, waiting so long that they are not getting their needs served. I've heard personal stories, and I know you told me you have too, where the VA works fine or they have minor um, issues with the bureaucracy of the VA. Luckily, your organization, you don't have much bureaucracy really at all, um, and bureaucracy always seems to to slow things down. Um, What kind of drives those uh, statistics, and what in your view, being that you're personally involved, um, what in your view can drive that number down? Um, so I think that, I, I think that it's unfair for us to, uh, assume as a society that any particular one entity should be at, uh, responsibility to care for our community. Right. And so while and, and this is just in my opinion. I think that the Northport VA is one of the better VAs that I've experienced throughout the country, actually. Okay. Um, and they and they've been constantly doing some upgrading and changing. And but listen, like I said, uh, everyone needs money. You know, there just isn't. Listen, if I was able to give any VA a bottomless pit of finance, they would be able to do whatever we needed them to do. But but unfortunately, that's not the case. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think that the support that is needed to be able to drive that number down is for the community to really engage and get involved, because it's usually most the, the most horrific instances I've encountered in our veteran community were not brought to me by the veterans themselves. It was brought to me by caretakers or family members. You know, I have a son in the basement or my husband won't leave the house. And, you know, it's always been someone else who has come to us to say, listen, I have a veteran that I can't seem to get care for. Mm -hmm. And so if the community is engaging and getting involved and, and, and looking at what's going on around them and you know, we always have that thing in New York. If you see something, say something. Right. So if you if you see something, say something. Right. Like if you see a veteran that is in in dire need of support and not um, getting the the support that they need, regardless of discharge status, then you should be reaching out to find out what you, you what you could do to be able to aid them and know that there are those of us out here that are willing to engage and support and care for these veterans, regardless of discharge status. You know, in, in with the Veterans Health Alliance, we strongly believe that if you served, you earned. Mm-hmm. I agree. Right? If you served, you earned, regardless of what your discharge status is. If you spent any time in the military, if you enlisted and you went off to boot camp, that one day was enough for us to believe that you should earn. Because trauma doesn't get to we don't get to pick when trauma occurs we don't get to pick who it's coming from or who it's going to land on and so we need to be a community that is really trauma informed 
and able to support anyone who has been exposed to any level of trauma because that's just what's natural for us to do. We should be here to support one another. Sure, and you need the community to be involved. It's it's a group effort. And it's definitely a group effort. So your focus is Long Island, New York. We're based in New York. So we are going to keep doing stories on you and um, tell your personal stories as well. I'm going to ask you that in a second. But if you have communities, theoretically, in every state, and Long Island, obviously, we discussed that there are uh, – you gave out the stat, 153,000 veterans living on Long Island. Um, there are veterans throughout the country who uh, – 39,500 veterans homeless on a given night. If yes. people came together – and let's say little things. I'll see a veteran outside Madison Square Garden you know, begging for change. Right. I'll buy them a sandwich, you know, something like that. Um, if everyone did that for veterans who are um, who are suffering, and really sometimes you never you don't know who's suffering because they don't necessarily talk about it. But you do sure. a little thing like that. If if somebody did that every single day, or you know, even once, let's even say once a month. Okay, I'm being conservative on that. Um, you think that makes a difference? I think it does make a difference. I, I think it makes a difference because one of the biggest things I think that we can do for any human being is to give them a sense of being loved and cared for. But when, I, when I'm walking around and I'm, I'm feeling unwanted and unloved and judged, then it, it steals a part of my soul. You know, it takes away my morale and my identity and my and my willingness to survive right you know and and but when you feel loved and you feel cared for and you know that society appreciates you and wants you around it gives you more fight you know it it, it gives you more willingness to be a part of life and so i think that our society has the ability to awaken that hope in our homeless veterans and let them know that we don't want you to be homeless. Like we want you to have a home of your choosing and the community of your choice, you know, and, 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 and with family and people who love you, you know, we want you to, we just aren't always able to make it easily. So do you feel as though people respect veterans? Oh, I definitely do. I, I think that we're in an era now where veterans are gaining uh, more respect. I know uh, my era and previous to that, veterans coming home uh, from the Vietnam War were, were considered, you know, baby killers and, you know, so, so there was a, a lack of respect for that era of veterans and they didn't get, they didn't get the honor that they deserved. And one of the things I think our society fails to recognize is that when I enlist, I follow orders, right? Mm -hmm. So, so I don't get to pick what combat I want to go to. I don't get to tell my commanding officer, well, I don't believe in that cause. I don't think I'm going to go to that one, right? We believe one team, one fight. And so we, we deploy and we go knowing that we protect the borders of, of the freedom of those who don't go, right? So so while, while you go to work and while you drink your coffee and 
you order your your your, your chai latte from Starbucks, <laughs> you need to know that there is someone who is not sleeping in the middle of the night to make sure that your borders are not invaded. Right. Right. So that's what. Yeah, you know, go ahead, continue. I do not want to interrupt you. Continue. Yeah, so, well, just to make sure that your borders are not invaded and to make sure that that you have the freedom to be able to go into a grocery store and buy whatever it is you want and choose the clothes that you want for your family and the schools that you want for your family and the lifestyle. And when that individual comes home, whether he deployed or not, when that individual comes home, I, 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 and for our society to understand that the air we breathe, he guarded. You know, he guarded. He stayed a watch to make sure that that air stayed safe and free of choice. Wow. I mean, honestly, that is, that's kind of how I look at things. And you said it perfectly. I mean, for me, when I am, you know, at a ball game, or and they're always veterans at ball games, you know. That's like one of the spots, and, and they usually do something. And I look around. Um, there are uh, people who stand. There are people who still have their head in the hot dog. Um, right. But you know, I'm I'm fortunate to be able to be on the air right now talking with you. I'm fortunate to be able to go to a ball game, and that has something to do with. Um, uh, you know, what I earned, I'm only here, I'm only a free American citizen because of guys like you who protected us. And if people looked at it that way, I think people would have a lot less problems that they make up for themselves. I mean, I look at some of these, you know, problems that people say that they have, that, you know, they complain um, and they whine about certain petty things. Now, I get there are certain societal things that people feel very strongly about, but there are certain things um, that people just whine about and complain. And if you only thought about the men and women overseas and here at home who protect us every single day so that they can whine about what they whine about, um, I think you have a different outlook on life. Is that a fair assessment? That is a good assessment. Um, and, and, and I certainly can't expect everyone in society to be partial to any one particular thing. I know that. So uh, my mother died from, passed from breast cancer. And so as a result of it, like pink is my favorite color. And I support all kind of breast cancer awareness and cures and all that kind of stuff. Right? Sure. Um, but there, I have friends who deal with lupus. And so when that time of the year comes around where they do these campaigns and awareness, I'll turn my Facebook page into purple and I'll post the things. And, but I can't be everything. And while I know that, our society have their own problems i think that at some point some people just grow weary i think some people grow tired i think you know uh they they get you know bored with the idea that this thing hasn't gone away you know that it's still here in my face and that you're still asking me for money for it and that you're still telling me to support these people 
moment grows old, they get tired and they lose it loses its luster. But also that um they probably did that doesn't mean that they didn't contribute at some point in their life, you know what I mean? And that they don't feel strongly about it. Maybe there's a hardship about it. You're you're breaking up a little no. bit. Uh-oh. Uh, I think you may be back. Am I okay? Yeah, you're good now. <laughs> All right. All good. Um, and so I just think that it varies from household to household, from individual to individual, and what their personal experiences are and their personal traumas and what they have a passion for. And so I go to a ball game and I watch a veteran come out who just returned from Afghanistan throw the first pitch yep. and a lot of people will get up and roar and a lot of people will still be like they didn't put mustard on my hot dog yep. so uh, <laughs> yeah I, I, to, I don't get those people I mean like to me it's like I want to grab them by the collar you know like a Bill Belichick <laughs> and get in their face yeah I, you know what I what I do understand is that um not everything is for everyone Right. And the and the beautiful thing, it's, the beautiful thing about it is that the freedom that we fight for, and the freedom that we stand guard for, is also that freedom for them to be able to choose what they want to support and where they want to support it. So they have the freedom to not stand and to finish eating their hot dog, and that's the freedom that we stand for. Right, that freedom of choice. Mm -hmm. Because if we, if we, be, yeah, if we become a society that says, "Well, your, you, you know, your morale should be for this," then we become no better than anyone else that would dictate what people should feel and what they should say, what they should see, what they should eat. You know, the the freedom is what it is. It's it's freedom. Right. Let me ask you, how do you feel personally when and we're talking about Jeffrey McQueen, he's a veteran himself, director of veteran services of Veterans Healthcare Alliance. Um, what is uh what is your personal feeling uh about people sitting or kneeling during our national anthem? I think that uh some people who used to believe in particular uh, religious traditions, believe that they should not worship anything besides the deity of that religion. And if it goes against that religion, and they, by them standing and saluting this object, if it goes against that religion, then they're not going to stand. And that's also another part of the freedom that we fight for. Freedom of religion, right? right. Freedom of religion, but and um, so, so if you, I don't believe, and this is this is why I say this, I don't believe that standing for our flag makes you less of a patriot than someone that does, because we have people who stand for the flag all the time, but that doesn't mean that they live a patriot life or that they wouldn't do anything. To, so so and here so yeah. here's what I'm saying. Good. No, so I understand. It, yeah, go yeah, ahead. So if it, if an individual stands for the flag, and then goes out into society and and rapes our women or steals from our 
our banks and harms a child. What's so patriotic about that than the individual who does not stand for the flag but gets up every day, pays his taxes, and works a lifestyle? Right. So, so I don't think that that one particular act says that you are any less than or any more than of a patriot than anyone else. No, I, I get that point. Um, you know, it's like that all talk, no action, uh, you know, symbolism there where some people outwardly are, you know, patriotic or they're symbolic in some action, but behind the scenes and, you know, when it comes down to it, they're, they don't follow through on that. Um, what about though, and you mentioned religion, but what about people who, like Colin Kaepernick, for an example, I don't really think he's the brightest guy. Um, I think I can factually <laughs> say he's not a smart gentleman. Um, okay. And he says some things, you know, that just don't make sense. And someone doesn't stand, and he doesn't stand for the national anthem, and he says because um, he feels that he's persecuted. Um, I guess lately he has started to do things. Uh, in the community, um, but he didn't before that when he started making these, you know, outrageous claims in the media. I don't want to get political with you, but I just, I'm curious since we're on this topic, um, someone who kind of does it, gets the attention for it, can they do any good from that, or do you just find that asinine? Um, I, I, I mean, I'm human like anyone else, and so there are some things that I find annoying that people do and i think that attention seeking is one of those annoying things yeah um but i mean listen i'm also the guy who thinks that a person should not make uh you know a hundred and something million dollars a year for playing a sport so you know i i feel that our society um could very easily produce something that says well you know any state that has a particular team that certain percentage of those earnings could go to homeless population and feeding homeless and blah 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 and that and that would change a lot but i mean that's just my opinion you know i agree society, with you society is what it is and supply and demand and you know free capitalism is what it is so um you know our society does what it does man and, and i'm no less of a fan of 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 this country than I was when they when something some other law may have gotten implemented that I disagree with. Mm-hmm. But but what I do know is that as an individual, um, I I still have to uh, do my due diligence to play my part to move towards what I feel is right, and and that's the only level of control and power that I have. I don't get I'm powerless over what this guy does. You know, um, in the stands, I'm powerless over what an athlete does. I'm powerless over what what the the bank does. You know, right. I, I just I don't have any control over any of those no, things. None of us and, do, right? And I also choose and employ others not to waste your energy, like allowing those situations to pull you out of the game. Like we have to, as a community stay focused and stay vigilant and stay diligent Mm -hmm. towards the causes that really matter. And I think when we do this, it becomes like those little fish that gather and unite to eat the big fish. Yeah, uh, totally, totally makes sense. Um, Jeffrey McQueen, 
Director of Veterans Services at um, Veterans Health Alliance. Let me ask you, you are a combat veteran. Uh, you served in Afghanistan, correct? No, I served in, in Grenada. Oh, Operation I'm sorry. Operation Urgent Fury. It's okay. It's okay. Um, thank you for your service. Um, thank you, you. Would you mind if I asked you about um, about your service and you could share whatever, um, whatever uh, you feel comfortable with? Um, yeah, I mean, as, as, so all the men in my family were 82nd Airborne, and so I chose to follow suit. I felt it was, um, the, the, the proper thing to do in honor of my father. Um, and so I did. I never was opposed to, um, well, you know, I never had given any thought to whether it was, uh, you know, peacetime or any of that. I just wanted to enlist and become uh, a, a part of this big family. And I also felt that it was one of those things that really signified for me my sense of belonging. You know, mm-hmm. I, I felt that it was it was a do, a thing that I should do as an American citizen. I should serve my country, right? Um, and so I did. I didn't know... Uh, that at the age of 19, I would be on a combat field. Um, I I did not know that the results of that would cause me um, emotional and mental trauma. Um, And I did not know that that event within itself would be a stirring point in my life from that that moment on to eternity, right? Mm -hmm. And so, and, and, and that is to just go to say, so does, a car accident for someone who is traumatized, traumatized by a car accident. So does a victim of domestic violence or rape. So does someone who, well, let's talk about 9-11, right? And so does, so there's so many traumatic things that happen in one's individual's lifestyle that could very well be the turning point in their lives. And for me, mine's was combat. I think one of the bigger things that played a big role for me was when I was, you know, when when we came back, a lot of people were really gun ho oh, we kicked their butt, we did that quickly, blah, blah, blah. But I felt um, a little uncomfortable. I felt like something wasn't right about it. Something natural, unnatural had happened. And I didn't even want to talk about it. I didn't want to let anyone know that I was a veteran, that I had served. I literally told no one. Um, and so people, uh, listen, I would do job applications and I would get to that part where it says, did you serve the United States military? And I would check no. Um, you know, I would hear other people talk about um, going in the Army, Navy, or Air Force, Marines. I wouldn't say anything. I would go the opposite direction. Mm-hmm. I literally didn't want any association with it. But it wasn't until I had identified that it was actually molding and shaping who I had become that I began to realize that I need to look at it, you know? And, and I, I had this big bout with uh, substance abuse and it led to multiple incarcerations. And my life had literally began to take a dive for the worse. Like I literally had gotten to a point where I had decided I would probably be better off if I just didn't live, you know? And, and, so from having a loving and caring community around me, um, people began to 
not let me go and not let me be alone and encouraging me, no, you need to go get help. You need to go do this. You need to go get support. You should be doing this. And, and so I did, I did what people suggested and I found myself on, you know, at the turn turning point and the crossroads of making a decision between life and death. And I chose life. And as a result of it, I'm in this position today where I allow my particular pain to become stepping stones for other individuals' growth to wellness. Wow. Uh, 19 years old in the military, um, that'll certainly shape your future um, being so young. And I mean, you know, just a couple of years younger than me, you were fighting for our country. And, you know, I look at people today that are my age and they don't, I mean, they can't even. Uh, I mean, geez, I can't see them holding a post. I would be afraid if they did. Um, what a what a, um, a life-changing experience for sure. And you describe that so succinctly, but it must be difficult to express that to people who can't picture it, um, you know, and I'll put myself in that category. Um, you know, I uh, when you express it to veterans, they understand it. And you told me when you express it to to people who need that to be repeated, I mean, they just, they look at you, I guess, dumbfounded. Uh, does that, does that bother you when you share that? I it, mean, it probably took a lot out of you to share that. Well, it, it used to take a lot out of me. I used to get too frustrated and not want to talk to civilians because I was like, why am I explaining this to you? You're not going to understand what I'm talking about. And then you want details and I don't really care to share the details. I really don't even care to share it at all. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and, and so it, it does become frustrating and it can be a lot to relive trauma. Right. Um, and, and so, and this is why it's extremely important to allow individuals who, to let people be who they are and meet them where they're at, you know, and, and not place this stigma or this belief system of what you think will make another person better on them right like to remove those expectations from them because it's not fair yeah it's not fair to put expectations on someone and it's also not fair to put a healing uh time frame on someone right like like you can't cut your finger or break your leg and then talk to your leg and say all right i need you to be better tomorrow because i've got to go to work your leg is not going to hear that. It needs the time that it needs to be able to heal. And your brain is no different. Your emotions, right, is no different. It needs it time that it needs to heal. Sure. What years did you serve? I served from 1983, well, 1982, because I, I deployed in 83. Okay. But I served from uh, 1982 to 1988. It's a long time. It's six years. Yeah. And um, you keep in touch with people you served with? Oh, yeah. We, we do skydiving events. And oh, we that's hang great. Out. Yeah. So yeah. You, have a, you have a tight community around you. Yes, I do. That's very important. And I'm so glad that you're doing well. I mean, honestly, by talking with you, you would never know. Okay, that's a good, that's a good sign, then. <laughs> are you are you no let me ask you though are you happy uh where you are i mean you're doing service you always say don't worry about me i'm fine 
So are you happy with what you're doing to give back? I am very happy. Um, I would love to be able to do more. Right. Um, but I am happy. I am happy. I, I, I have to tell you that I wake up every day and I go into my office and I don't feel like I work. I feel like I serve. Yeah. Well, that's that's the best way to look at it, right? You never work a day in your life if you enjoy what you're doing. If you enjoy what you're doing, that is correct. So March 14th, you will be at Adelphi, 8.30 yes. a.m. to 3, Adelphi University, um, Garden City, New York. And, um, well, tell us about this event because um, I want to promote this, and this will be up on com by tomorrow, uh, by Friday. Okay. And uh, I'm going to put up – you have a couple of events coming up. But first, tell me about this. Uh, people can – I'm going to put the, all this up on com. how people can register for free. Um, so tell us about this. Right. So so you can go to the veteranshealthalliance.org website, and there's a link there for you to be able to register. You can go to our Delphi website, and there's a link there for you to be able to register as well. Or you can reach out to the project coordinator, Ms. Rhea Spina, and she can be reached at 516-489-2322, and her extension is 1260, and she will get you registered. So every year, the Veterans Health Alliance hosts a mental health conference that educates our community, not just about veterans' mental health, but also ways uh, to engage and get involved, what the status is, of Long Island veterans and what's the, what's what's trending in healthcare, um, and it's really a, a very informative event from experts from all over the country that allow you to be able to hear from these experts like what innovative services and new modalities of wellness are being implemented in our society for the care of veterans. It also gives you an uh, ear to the ground on. Uh, you know, any statistics regarding our veterans. Um, so you'll understand, you'll be able to hear about is the number and is if the work that we're doing is decreasing the suicide rate, if the work that we're doing is removing uh, homeless veterans from the street, if the work that we're doing are giving veterans more sustaining and fulfilling lives. Well, it's a great, it's a great event and something that I hope people um, attend. And again, I'll put all that information, including uh, Rhea Spina's information. You have a great team over there. Um, you're also organizing Legislative Day, um, where you go yes. up to Albany, New York, which is the uh, state capital, and you go up and you discuss um, needs that you need uh, in our uh, legislature. Um, tell us about Le- Legislative Day. So, so Legislative Day is a time where we collaborate with a lot of the mental health agencies throughout New York State to be able to come to Albany all on one day to be able to advocate for veterans' rights and veterans' issues, right? And so uh, we, we'll fill up a busload or as many buses as we can fill. And we also get names of individuals who are going so that in your location of your district so that we can make appointments with your local legislator and assembly uh, you know, so that you'll be able to meet with them and talk to them about the needs of veterans in our community and, you know, individuals, live stories of individuals you may know and how you could support them, you know, and what we wish the government would do to be able to support them or what we wish the government would continue 
right. to do. Like I said, in the, in the years come, our government has definitely stepped up their game in the support of the veterans community. And I'm extremely proud of some of the decisions that they're making. Um, but we need more. Like We need yep. you to keep it up. We don't want it to go away. One year is not enough or five years is not enough. Like It needs to become permanent parts of the budget and it needs to be ongoing because uh, our brothers and sisters and our community are continuing to enlist and continuing to deploy. Yeah. And when they come home, they need us to be there for them. So there are a couple of things that I've actually talked about on the podcast recently, this week, in fact. Um, the defense budget, which um, is $600 billion, but they have the uh, defense uh, sequester, um, which limits the amount of spending despite uh, a growing threat. Um, and the veterans' budget um, needs to be increased as well um, because, like you said, they're coming back, and uh, we we have um, not necessarily wards, although, you know, technically I guess we, we are at a time of war, but we have um, missions all around the world and veterans who are coming back every day, um, and we need to do more because they come back and— I think there's a problem really with awareness. I don't know if you would agree with that and the fact that I think they come back and they think that they're they're at it alone at the at the beginning and they're not really aware of all the services that are out there and I think the government could do a a better job, my personal opinion, in making veterans aware and really reaching out personally. I don't think there's because of bureaucracy there isn't a personal touch and I think Washington loses sight of that. Um, would you agree with, with me on that? Um, I, I don't know if it's fair to say that they're losing sight of it as much as it is just, again, there are so many needs in our community right. and not enough money for everyone to go around. Of course, now, I with a debt. That, well, <laughs> well, let me, well, let me not say it that way because I also believe that we're a very uh, spoiled society and there is actually enough money. We just don't distribute it properly. Yeah. And I don't mean the government. I just mean society at large. Sure. Right. So, well, government so, too. I mean, you know, there's a well, lot of waste and fraud and abuse. Well, I mean, I, I guess that's possible, but I don't think that's where the biggest. There is more money out of government than there is in government. Right in the private there's, sector. There's, sure. There's, right. Yeah. There's more money in the private sectors than there are in government. No, you're absolutely and correct. So, if, so here we go again. That if the community gets involved in taking care of itself, it's where it starts. Then the government would be able to spend its money in areas that the community would be able to benefit from well, more more rationally. Right, and it's twofold because not only is the community who has more money than the local governments putting in um, their efforts uh, to support our veterans, but also um, their constituents. <laughs> and so politicians see that they yeah, are there yeah. in the community and they're, they care about this. Well, guess what? All of a sudden, you're going to start seeing a lot of campaign speeches. Um, that mentioned yeah. this, and it's going to bring, and uh, you know, that's just kind of the system of democracy. Um, and now I get too much into politics. I do want to ask you one question though about um, our leadership. When you served, and you served from eighty two to ninety eight, um, yes. what was it like? I mean, does the 
Does the commander-in-chief matter? I mean, obviously you have people who you report to, and you have generals who you report to. Does the commander-in-chief you served under Ronald Reagan, and you served under H.W. Um, Bush? Yeah. Does that does the commander-in-chief matter? I think it does. Okay. I think it does. How so? Uh, I I think I think that the commander in chief matters because uh, it's it's important for an individual or a group of people, let's say, to believe that you have our best interests at heart. Mm-hmm. That you're not doing something because you feel that we're expendable, but you're doing something that makes us suspendable for a greater cause. So while I'm willing to deploy, I'm willing to deploy because I know that my life is actually saving hundreds of thousands of lives. Right. And not, not, not supporting a chess game. Sure. And yeah, and politics, obviously, there's always political machinations involved um, with right. war. So it does matter. I think it, it does. does matter. Okay. I, I mean, and, and I think that the call that was made in my particular case, because there were hostages involved, mm-hmm. um, I think that, that the call that was made in my particular case um, was a cause that I would support again. Okay. Okay. Uh, why? I mean, is there is there a reason? Because I, I I believe in I believe in I believe that it was the right thing to do. Okay. Sure. And um. No, I I I agree with you, and I appreciate you I believe you sharing was the right this information. Thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. I believe it was the right thing to do. And, and honestly, and, you can't and, regret things, right? I mean, you can't. I mean. No, and listen, you know, one of the things that that make combat difficult is when you're con- when your moral vi- values may contradict what transpired yeah right and so not not I, I don't know about anyone else but and, and I I didn't grow up in the most savory of neighborhoods but I didn't grow up with bullets flying around my head and bombs going off so to be in that situation was very unnatural Right. Mm-hmm. And so naturally it should be traumatizing for for a person to experience it, you know, but but more than that, when I'm doing something that's against my moral fibers, when I'm taking someone else's life, then I begin to wonder. I, I question my values. I question my humanity. I question, you know, um, am I in actuality like a monster? You know, is this something that I should be a part of or not? And so it's hard to be able to hold true to the course of the big picture and the values of our society and our culture and and this country over my own individual values. And sometimes that split hair is what creates a lot of trauma for a lot of veterans. Any curiosity on on the fact that we're talking about the commander-in-chief, you served under Reagan uh, George H.W. Bush and Bill Clinton through the and time Clinton. that you served, right. Mm-hmm. Um, what were the differences between the three presidents that you served under? Um, so, so coming from a 
ground up standpoint, um, when you look at that, I I don't even look at the 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 presidents that we served under. Uh, what I look at is who were the generals, mm-hmm. right? Who who were actually giving out any particular orders. And so when I look at any combat times in those eras, then I have to look at what was transpiring and 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 was it a call that was made for our country or was it a call that was made for something else? And so uh and and some of that becomes political and I don't get into that. You know, I don't get into the the politics of it. I'm not a politician. Yeah. I'm a soldier. <laughs> and I follow orders. And and I and I, in in order for me to be able to come home, I need to find a space that allows me to believe in the cause at hand. Otherwise, I go over there already a target. Sure. And um, no, I, I listen. We respect that you don't talk politics because sometimes. The wrong people talk politics, and it kind of it, it, you question what their intentions are. And like you said, um, your values can get in the way, and um, you, you know you you have to follow orders. You're doing your job. Yeah, and I and listen. I, I'm I'm a patriot, so I believe in this country, and I believe in the decisions of this country. And because we don't put people in office without vote. I have to go with the vote, and mm-hmm. I believe that the vote is for what's best for the country. And so whoever my commander-in-chief is, um, uh, if your plan does not succeed, it will not succeed because I didn't help participate. I will still give you 100% of me um, because you are my commander-in-chief. Right. And I actually – a veteran that I interviewed, um, U.S. Army veteran, he told me that um, – well, he's – you know, very into following um, the politics, and he finds it fascinating. He told me that he served under George H.W. Bush as well, and um, he really felt that uh, George H.W. Bush had his back. Um, and I, you know, as a as a fellow veteran, um, he was somebody who he just he just felt very supported by him. Um, did you feel the same way? You don't have to compare necessarily um, different uh, presidents, but did you feel the same way under him? Well, what what I look at in comparison is when when Saddam Hussein had deployed soldiers and they discovered that not only did they not have enough ammunition, but they didn't even have rations. That must have been a very humiliating time to 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 want to be patriotic for the cause and only to discover that the cause was not being patriotic to you. Mm-hmm. And at no time did I feel that way, ever. We've always had what we needed to get the job done. Good. All right. I appreciate you sharing all of that. And Veterans Health Alliance of Long Island, um, veteranshealthalliance.org is the website. Um, is there anything that you felt that you want to share or feel that you want to share um, that I haven't covered about Veterans Health Alliance and how people can get involved? Well, what I guess if, if in closing, what I would like to say is that um, there are literally hundreds of thousands of veterans that are coming home uh, afraid and unaware of what transpired and not feeling themselves and knowing that 
from the time that they had deployed to their current day that something is different. Family members are different. Their spouses are different. Their children are responding to them differently, and they're not quite sure what to do. And it makes it difficult for them to be able to reach out because it's hard to tell someone I'm broken, right? And so it's important to know that it's not about, you know, something being wrong with you. It's about what happened to you. And so we need to be smart about the language we use in supporting our veterans. And we also need to be smart about the care we use in supporting our veterans, right? Like this is not the day and age and the time for stigma, right? This is not the day and age and time to be able to separate and divide. We all need to come together as a community and support our, 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 our troops. We need to bring them home safely. And when they get home, we need to keep them safe. Agreed. Jeffrey McQueen, who is the Director of Veterans Services at Veterans Health Alliance, veteranshealthalliance.org, and we'll have all this information up on elacruso.com. Uh, Mr. McQueen, God bless you. Thank you for your service, and thank you for all you do for our veterans today. And um, we are going to keep in touch with you. Make sure you keep in touch um, with us so that we can uh, get the word out and do all we can on our part um, to help those. And, and I know that my listeners will follow through. Most definitely. All right, so that wraps up the Thursday podcast. Thanks for listening. Um, just wow. I mean, uh, honestly, all of your problems just seem so minute when you think about uh, our U.S. veterans and what they do every day just so that we can listen to a podcast, just so that we can wake up every morning in a safe, secure country. So, veteranshealthalliance.org to learn more. Uh, I will have something up on neilacaruso.com tomorrow. Uh, that being Friday morning, for those, depends on when you listen to the podcast, so you can check that out. Um, everyone, do your part. I always say this, do your part to truly make America great again. And we'll touch in the podcast on Friday.